when I was older and I was living with my Kokum, then I would ask her to teach me the language and she actually didn't want to. She said, I looked like a Munia, so if, if I learned this language, it was just going to hurt me. And that she promised herself a long time ago she wasn't going to teach it to her kids or like to me. So it was an awkward time because I wanted to learn the language. That's Court Donier, groundbreaking Michif educator. He is our guest today on the QK, the Metis Culture Podcast, brought to you by the Metis Nation Saskatchewan and Canadian Geographic. Welcome, Pictigwe Tanshikia. I'm Leah Marie Dorian. I'm a Metis artist and writer living near Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and the host of Pikiuke. Pikiuke means come and visit, and on this series, we invite you to join us as we go on a journey, exploring our rich Michif language and Metis culture. Tanshi. Tanshi. Pictigwe. Rubaboo. Over 10 episodes, we travel to Métis communities all over Saskatchewan, talking with Michif elders, educators, artists, and cultural leaders, and learning about what they are doing to keep the Michif language and culture vibrant and alive for future generations. Masi, enjoy! On this episode of Pikioke, I'm very happy to be joined by award-winning Métis educator Cordonnier. Court is an active leader in the revival of the Michif language for the urban Métis students in Saskatoon. Court has worked as a Métis education program leader at St. Michael's Elementary School in Saskatoon, where his team developed a core Michif program that was launched in 2019. A descendant of the Dumont family, Court has a deep knowledge of Métis history, including little understood areas like our Métis roles in the treaty-making process, as you'll hear in the interview. His newest children's book, Road to La Prairie Ronde, is currently available through the Gabriel Dumont Institute Press in Saskatoon. So with no further ado, here's my interview with Court Donier. Court, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Leah. Thanks for having me. Court, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and a bit about your Métis heritage? For sure. I am a Métis man, born and raised in Saskatoon. I lived really close proximity to my Kokum, who was just actually one block over. And so I spent a lot of time with her. Um, she took me everywhere she went with to visit her old lady friends and <laughs> wherever she went. So that's kind of how I learned about who I was and what I was, was through her, spending time with her, hearing her stories. She spent a lot of time talking about her history and her experiences. And those were the kind of things that I internalized. And as my aunts and uncles and relatives came to visit, um, I would hear their, hear their stories. Lots of times um, they would uh, speak in Cree. So they didn't want me to hear. So uh, I would just hear the Cree language, but that kind of, I always tell people, it kind of washed over me. And so I was lucky to hear the language and um, probably subconsciously internalized it so that when I was older um, and I was living with my Kokum, then I would ask her to to teach me the language. And um, she actually didn't want to. She said that... Yeah, she said that the language would hurt me. She said I looked like a Munia, so um, I needed to, <laughs> you know, if I if I learned this language, it was just going to hurt me. And that she promised herself a long time ago when she finally learned English, she wasn't going to teach it to her kids or like to me. So 
it was an awkward time because I wanted to learn the language and I went through the Indian teacher education program. Yeah. So back in the day, SunTap didn't exist. So that's would, right. That's mm -hmm. right. So I, it was 1976, no SunTap. So um, I went through the Indian teacher education program. They took in one kind of token Métis a year and I was lucky enough to be that person. But then amongst um, First Nations people, I would hear the language. So they would always teach me something to say and send me home. And I would say it to my Kokum. And of course, half the time it was uh, very inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure your grandmother had a good laugh at some of your, your stories and your learning. But how blessed to have such a strong grandmother figure. I call you a Kokum kid. Most of my yeah. friends raised by their grandparents have a real special bond with their Kokum. <laughs> That's exactly what I am. I am a Kokum kid. <laughs> <laughs> Court, you've retired from education of recent. Can you share a highlight, a Métis cultural highlight in your teaching career? Probably. The, the most recent is becoming the Métis education program leader with Greater Saskatoon Catholic Schools. And so that's even after I retired. Um, it was working with um, the Catholic School Division and with Central Urban Métis Federated Incorporated, as they developed their partnership, they were looking for a way to support Métis content and perspectives within their school division and establish St. Michael's School as uh, a center of Métis excellence. And so the idea was uh, they wanted somebody in the building to help um, facilitate that. And so they hired me. And, and that was huge. I've had lots of other ones before where I was the coordinator for First Nations Inuit and Media Education. But when it came to First Nations perspective, I always had to default to somebody else to make sure that I was doing things appropriately, following protocol, all those sorts of things. Where here, I didn't have to default to anybody. You know, I had my Kokum's teachings and I was pretty solid in, in terms of what I knew and ready to share that and 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 move forward and had so many community connections as well. So a pretty strong network. So coming into the role, I didn't have to worry that I was going to offend somebody by not knowing something. I was pretty sure I could do it. So that is definitely my career highlight. I think t leadership comes in many forms in education court. And I know our connection of recent was in that program, in that role. Mm -hmm. I had come to your special learning room. It had the most glorious Mitch uh, kitchenette and rocking chair. And I felt so, you know, I was learning in a comfortable, safe space. Base. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that special room that you worked out of and the approach that you used to create a Michif-specific climate? What I wanted to do was I wanted to create an environment when whoever crossed that threshold into our Métis Education Centre recognized immediately that we did things differently here and that they needed to open up their hearts and minds in order to respond to that. And one of the kids to feel that they had a safe place that they could go. And for me, my safe place to go was always my Kokums. And so that cupboard that you speak about was my Kokums cupboard. That chair was my Kokums chair. Her blankets, her her coffee pot, her teapot. I know. remember it well. I brought everything and, and kind of set it up so that it was that, that comfy Kokums cabin. And uh, I wanted that special sense that people, when they came into the room, would just go, this is great. And so many people, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, said the same thing, that it was just a room that, that comforted you, 
that kind of allowed you to to relax um, and just sort of settle in and just absorb what was there to be presented. And so that's what that room was about. And so we had all those Métis resources that we acquired predominantly from Gabriel Dumont Institute, um, who were really strong in, in supporting us. So we had those resources, but we had that, that climate, that environment um, that just kind of changed everything. So it was important to me to create that. Well, I remember kids and everybody was just trying to wander in constantly. Yeah. And then we, I got to meet so many people because it really did feel that it was a, a focal point for the school and people could really se- have a sense of connection in that space. So I'm so grateful I got to see you work in your space. Now, you work so tirelessly in Michif language and culture. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you work so and speak so passionately to educators about preservation and protection of Michif language and culture. I guess growing up, well, you experience all that, that racism that's out there um, and that sense of not belonging um, in schools. And, and when I went to ITEP, um, there was that immediate sense of belonging of everybody wrapping around you to build relationship. And it was, it was, it was obviously about the learning, but it was also about supporting each other, caring for each other. The staff were, were friends. And that was such a powerful experience for me that when I left, I thought that's what I've got to do. I've got to create a classroom. I've got to try and create an environment in the school that's welcoming and respectful and inclusive for everybody. Um, and that was probably where my passion was was born. And so where, wherever I went, including England, when I went on teacher exchange, you know, okay. it was about, you know, how do I how do I respond to my students and, and make my classroom um, inviting and caring and respectful? Um, because that's just important. It's our core values. You literally put our major core values in your whole teaching philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Court, you've worked some, with some exceptional, amazing Métis community people um, in your teaching career, particularly St. Michael's School. Can you share um, your experience with St. Michael's Community School working with a, your team of strong Métis educators? I'd love to hear that uh, story of your, your staff. Well, I, I have to tell you that it, um, I kind of divided up into, into three parts. And, and the first part is what I call the hammer. The hammer was um, Shirley Eisbister, who was president of company, <laughs> who was sort of saying, this is going to happen. <laughs> and, yes. and, and no ifs, ands, or buts. It was going to happen. And so she worked with uh, Dr. Gordon Martell. And, and together, you know, uh, Gord saw the vision and basically said the same thing. This is going to happen. And whatever it takes, we're going to make it happen. So there was our hammer already downtown. When you have senior administration who say this is going to happen and everybody else get out of the way, you know, that was powerful. So we already had an opportunity right there. Um, And then we had um, Cornelia Laliberti, who was our coordinator for First Nations Inuit and Media Education. um, And she was the kind of the, I I don't want to say the uh, enabler, but she and Evelyn Johnson Mm -hmm. were, were the people who were sort of saying that the rubber has to hit the road. So how is it going to hit the road? And, and so they were the ones that provided um, ideas. Uh, Cornelia, basically anything I asked for, Cornelia said, yeah, we'll make it happen. And so when you've got somebody who, who's, who's not setting up a wall, 
you know, you just, you, she's pushing Bush for us. So that was, that Absolutely. was, that was super. And if, and if you know, Evelyn Johnson, Evelyn Johnson is not afraid to speak her mind and to ask important questions. And so that was terrific when we had um, team meetings, when we had um, working group meetings to, to move it forward, she would be asking, why isn't this <laughs> happening? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we doing a better job of communicating? So that was all good. When we started in 2015, there was an administrative change at St. Michael's School. And so um, Mike Thorson, the principal, came into that role. And he came out of uh, the Ukrainian bilingual school. And so, okay. he, al- so he already had in his mind uh, an understanding of how you need to shift thinking and that how important culture is and how that culture needs to be embedded with language. He got that. So coming into it, he was brand new. He had no preset ideas about St. Michael's. And so he was malleable. Like, you know, he was, he was saying, yeah. I don't know what's going, so let's just make this happen. So that was phenomenal. And then Gail Hendry. So I, this is the dream team now. So you've got Mike Thorson, mm-hmm. you have Gail Hendry, who was our um, Aboriginal Student uh, Achievement Coordinator, who had been working with the community all this time with partnerships and stuff. And she just said, okay, I just need to shift my focus. And so she just kind of took all her community connections and pulled them into this Make the Education um, program, which was phenomenal. And then Maureen Belanger was there as well. So, you know, Ma- Maureen was our community yes. outreach worker. And so... And Maureen. and Maureen speaks Michif fluently, doesn't she, yeah. Kurt? So, so mm-hmm. she had the language. She had that that perspective. And so, you know, I was coming in with this, this urban Métis perspective, the stories of my Kokum and stuff. She was coming from her Illacross perspective. And so the two of us were kind of saying the Métis experience is this spectrum. It's not just this, this little mm-hmm. ball that's so tight and, and defined. You know, we're on a spectrum And we have all of these experiences and all of them need to be honored. So I appreciated that. And lots of times Maureen and I talked and and would think about how we needed to incorporate that in the school. And then you have the staff and the staff were were, were the real rubber to the road because they were the ones that were going to be impacted. And, you know, I went in June to meet the staff and thought, I bet there's going to be resistance. They're going to wonder what the heck are they getting into? And it was never like that. They just welcomed me so, uh, it was just so amazing. Um, and so in September, you know, a majority of the staff were SunTEP grads. Right so on. Had, yeah, mm-hmm. so you had Samson LaMontagne, Kat Moon. Um, um, uh, Penny, Penny Condon. Mm-hmm. Penny Condon, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had those people who were, and um, um, Tressa, Tenchilla, uh, all right there, your, your main core of teachers. And then we had Brittany McKinnon, who was First Nation. So out of all the teachers, oh, and our kinder, our pre-K teacher was even uh, uh, oh Métis. Yeah, so only, um, there was only one non-Indigenous person teaching staff. That is a statistical <clears throat> celebration in a, yeah. in a school in Saskatchewan. Congratulations, especially in urban, you know, city yeah. school. Uh, how could you not win? You already had all these Santa people <laughs> who were just... <laughs> excited and thrilled and looking for that opportunity. But what was amazing was like our our EAs, our education assistants um, were on fire too. They were sort of saying, teach us, let us know. And so that whole first year was just about building relationship and trust um, and saying, 
Like, I don't care where you're at in your learning. My assumption is you're at zero. Yeah. Um, so the only way to go is up. So, so long as we're all committed to moving forward in a good way, it's great. And, and of course you had all these people. So, um, it was funny because Samson Lamontagne was, was the first one to invite me into his classroom. And, and, you know, so we would brainstorm ideas. We would co-plan something, then co-teach it. And he'd go back to the staff room, tell the staff about it. And they'd go, well, he could do that in our class, my classroom too. So, so that's how the ball started to roll. I remember our grade, I think it was our grade five teacher who said, uh, uh, Donna Banks. That's her name. Uh, Donna said, well, I'm doing a unit on the election. Can we talk about Métis governance? Absolutely. And why don't we bring in? And at that time, um, I said, uh, May Henderson mm-hmm. was the past secretary for the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan. Why don't we get someone to give a personal perspective? You know, so then it was draw in the community and make them be a part of it. And so, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And that's that's how we went. Gord Martel gave us two years to okay. sort of think, think about how we were going to share whatever it is that we developed with the rest of the division. Well, by June, we already developed a Métis education model for our school. It was phenomenal. And it was a collaborative thing. All the teachers, you know, came together, sat down and said, let's see if this works for our school. And so the next year was about growing that. Was it working? How could we make it work? And, you know, and then the third year was put um, flesh to bone. Um, we needed to create units of study that would support that. And then it was, now we'll pass on to the rest of the division and get them involved. So it just kept snowballing and snowballing. So much fun. Oh, it's been wonderful to follow your work um, from my position here, just north of you in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. It's acknowledged as a core Michif language school now, uh, a core Michif initiative. Can you tell our listeners what your school looks like from a from a student point of view. How do they experience Michif language? And what do they see when they walk in their school to give it the Métis Michif identity? Yeah, so what we wanted to do when we first started, because the uh, again, Shirley Eisbister was, was adamant that we were going to focus on the revitalization and retention of, of Michif. And so we started to look for those, those opportunities of who could we get in that, that could help us. And of course, we had Maureen Belanger, but uh, that was a northern Machif, and yeah. heritage Machif was kind of happening all around us. But, you know, that was something that we just never effectively tapped into. So right. we, we just went with what we had. And so we used northern Machif, and we started um, incorporating it wherever we could so that when you came in, that there were greetings on the wall, there were posters, yep. there were bulletin boards, all that sort of thing to, to support that, that language and that, that perspective. Um, we invited in guests, elders, knowledge keepers, that sort of thing um, to help people learn the language. And we had Samson Lamontagne who was taking classes. Um, and so he was really the, the spearhead of that language piece. I mentioned earlier that uh, uh, my Kokum spoke Cree. So Machif was kind of kind of new to me. In fact, um, I, I wasn't even sure half the time what they were saying. Because, you know, uh, like I would say Tanse, where they say mm-hmm. Tanshe. And so the, I remember the first time I heard it, I was kind of going, what? That's <laughs> what? the dialect. <laughs> yeah, why, are they, why are they saying things like that? Uh, so I had to go on a learning journey as well. Um, and, and try and be supportive. And, and that, that was the, the whole thing. 
about our staff was if they came up with an initiative, my job was to also push push and, and allow them to do that. So Samson was the one who was really the lead um, with language in our, in our building. So making it as available as he possibly could. Um, and of course, he wasn't a, a speaker to begin with as well. So he was learning. And so we all went on this learning journey. The incredible thing right now is that the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan has funded um, five school divisions around the province to have a Michif bilingual program in their building. And so we're lucky at St. Michael's School to be one of those schools. So our, our kindergarten, um, pre-K kindergarten, I think, are both um, are, are immersion. So they have uh, Vanessa Gardner um, and Sandra Laliberti in that classroom really creating a, a Machif environment. And you know, you can't do language and culture separately. So yes. it's about combining those and making it meaningful. And there's something that's gonna grow in a building that already has a, a foundation, you know, that's receptive and open-minded. So it's gonna be just phenomenal. Uh, I see this just only uh, taking off in the next few years. Our children are demanding to know who they are and they want their language. They want to bond with our community. And Court, that work is just such a great model. Our listeners can actually go on the Saskatoon Catholic School Division website and find links to St. Michael's School. Is there any other place our listeners can follow the work being done there? Oh, good question. Yeah, I would have said going to a, to the St. Michael's School website okay, <laughs> was, absolutely. was the key place to, to go. Okay. But but even if they were if they were really curious, I would give the school a call because Kristen Dorgan Lee, uh, okay. the principal who's there right now, would be really receptive to answering any questions of, about that program. Kristen, I, I should mention too, is another gift that came to that program because stars just kept aligning in that first year. Um, we were fortunate enough to have Natalie McMaster uh, come to our school and perform. And when she left, she was saying, like, why don't you have a fiddle program here if you are Métis people? And we said, because we don't have fiddles. And that fall, she sent us 25 fiddles. Oh, yeah. blessings to her for that gift. Oh, Absolutely. my goodness. <laughs> so, so we got those fiddles. And so, of course, if you're going to have the fiddles, you need a, a fiddle instructor. And along came Kristen Dorgan Lee, this strong Métis woman you know, who came into our building and immediately bonded with us. And, you know, it was just like lighting a fire under her. So she was so eager um, to teach that fiddle, but also to bring uh, Métis culture. And she comes from a, a French midship background. Okay. So, that, so now we've got all three kind of connected. So that was, that was so amazing. And then just by luck and the grace of God, you know, Kristen mm -hmm. became our vice principal and then our acting principal and is now our principal. So you have a Métis principal mm. in a Métis school with a Métis staff, you know. A, with Métis Michif language and culture all yeah. as part of the a curriculum. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you Phenomenal. believe what? Where we've come from since our early education, I am similar to you as we were discouraged. We were, you know, somewhat shamed for yeah. speaking and, and practicing what language we had. And our kids won't have that. They're proud. No, absolutely. Like, you know, we all as instructors, as presenters and yourself included, I, I'll bet you've gone and done a presentation. And at the end of it, that some little boy or little girl has come up to you and kind of whispered to you, I'm tea. You yes. Know? I want yes. that pride where they're saying it out loud. Yes. Know? Out loud and proud. 
Um, Out loud and proud, Court. I love that. <laughs> I get a whole lot to that for sure. <laughs> so I just, I just want that. Um, I, somebody asked me, um, did my Kokum come into my classroom a lot? And you know, um, she, it was really reluctant because she was of that opinion that, that there was nothing to be proud of, that, that if anything, our experiences were shameful and embarrassing. Yeah. And so she could tell me about them, but there's no way she was coming in and, and telling anybody else about that. The, the most I could ever get her to do was to come in and make manic <laughs> with my Court, students. That's even alone is her contribution. And yeah. look at all her, her physical objects that have made us all feel so welcome. Her spirit yeah. was in that room. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. She filled me with pride. You know, she always her love for me was so unconditional and it was about like she would tell me anything um, and, and experience it. And then I was lucky that in my classroom, there was the place that I could fulfill it. You know, uh, she told me about growing up in a, in a prospector's tent. And so, you know, so one year I bought a prospector's tent, yes. set that up in my classroom and told those stories. You know, you have to make them personal and experiential, you know, for that learning to really uh, reverberate with the, with the students. So that's, that's what I wanted. But along with that, you know, the staff learned the stories too. So many good things that happened. And, and we were really fortunate this year um, that uh, Greater Saskatchewan Catholic Schools, along with their partners, the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, Gabriel Dumont Institute, SUNTEP, um, they all won the Premier's Award for Innovation. I was hoping you would speak to that. Uh, yes, it's our Saskatchewan shining star. That's yeah. absolutely something to be proud of. Shout out to everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. All our partners, it, it, it can't be done alone. You know, and from, from the day we, rose, we, we raised that flag, you know, Senator Nora Cummings was there, Shirley Eisbister was there. So many of our Métis community were there. I know Karen Schmann was there from GDI. We had so many people um, and we raised that flag. And, you know, that flag was our, our, our symbol that uh, mm -hmm. we weren't going anywhere. You know, we were going to grow this program. And, you know, uh, at, at six years later, you're winning an award for yes. the, the stuff that you're passionate about. And setting a wonderful provincial model for other places that are uh, similar with demographic. Uh, you know, there's a lot of urban centers that have that type of demographic. Michif French, Michif Northern Cree, and Heritage Michif. So I think it's a great model and a great story to tell. Now, Court, you're multi-talented. Um, I hear you have a forthcoming book with the Gabriel Dumont Institute Press. Can you share a little bit about that with our listeners? For sure. So when I was thinking about retiring. Oh, no, I got to take this back, Leah. Uh -oh. this, comes back, this comes back to you. Because awesome. when you first came into our building, you and I sat and visited for, we had so many opportunities to, to chat and visit. And I kept, I would tell you different stories. And I remember you telling you, um, I think it was at Christmas time, so I was wearing mm -hmm. red socks. Yes, <laughs> and you I were. How, how my Kokum always bought me red socks at, at Christmas time. And so, um, in her memory, that's what I do. I wear my uh, red socks at Christmas. And you said to me, you need to write these stories down. And that kind of has sat at the back of my mind for, for a long time. And then as I approached my retirement, I thought, okay, maybe I do need to tell these stories. And so that's where my book came from. So the first book that I ever wrote is now published with uh, Gabriel Dumont Institute, and it's called The Road to La Prairie Round. And it's the story of my my grandmother's father, um, Frederick Dumont. Um, oh, okay. 
And so the idea at that time was that in 1883, because of the tensions that were building and, and the frustrations that uh, um, Frederick's grandmother, um, Judith Peranto and uh, Isidore Dumont um, needed a break. And so they were going to go to Round Prairie where their um, father was. They're going to go visit him in Round Prairie. So um, Isidore Sr. was one of the founding members of that community. So that's the connection there. And okay. he happened to be there in 1883. And so I just thought, wouldn't it be neat to have a story of the Dumonts going back to Round Prairie. And then I thought, well, well, Gabriel Dumont might as well go too. He can go with his brother. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so why wouldn't Frederick beg to go along too and have a have an experience? Um, and so that's what the story is about. It's about my, my great-grandfather um, traveling as an 11-year-old boy back with Gabriel Dumont, with Isidore Dumont, with his relatives, and that experience that they have as they travel that road to, uh, to Round Prairie. So uh, that's, Court, that's I look forward to getting my own hard copy and getting a signature. Court, what age grade was your target audience for that beautiful? I was thinking about grades four to six when I was writing it, because I, I, I think there's a there's a huge gap in that area. You know, a lot of our students go to um, Batosh yes. around that time. And I wanted to make it kind of more personal again you know, trying to, to build stories that would build relationship and, and that they would see us as real people and not just historical figures. And so I thought that with my, with my, um, um, my great grandfather as the, as the kind of the hero, um, that would give it a little more, um, a little more meaning and, and students would relate to it a little more. It was actually uh, Wilfred Burton, Mm-hmm. Who, who said to me, you know, if you're going to write a kid's story, make sure that the hero is a kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> so I said, okie dokie. <laughs> so that's what I did. So yeah, the book's available through Gabriel Dumont Institute. Great. Now, Court, I also am aware that you have tirelessly worked with the Office of the Treaty Commissioner. You support their work, the mandate, treaty education. Can you tell us how the Métis story is connected to the Saskatchewan treaty education story? Absolutely. You know, I've been a facilitator with the OTC for, for well over 10 years. It's probably 15 years by right. now. Um, and always as a Métis person, I have thought, who's missing in the story as we talk about um, treaty education? Because we're all treaty people and we all have our stories. And it was actually Senator Nora Cummings um, who, who, again, got that ball rolling years ago. She, uh, I was... Um, I think it was at Fairhaven School Teaching. And the students asked me, why didn't Métis people take status? And I thought, why didn't they? Uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's look that up. <laughs> so, so, but I, I, I went to my, to my encyclopedia. So I, I called Nora and, and asked her if she would come to my classroom and present. And she did. And she told the story. And, and oftentimes, this is the case that I, I hear my family stories through Nora. And, and Nora basically said, we didn't take treaty because we had our own identity, our own, own culture, and we didn't want to lose that. So for our family, we wanted to remain Métis, but lots of Métis people did take status. They did, yes. And so that's an important um, um, thing to understand. And so again, at St. Michael's, as we were trying to bring in Métis perspectives, again, it was Sam who said, let's talk about treaty. And so mm-hmm. the role of the Métis. And so um, 
it's the role of the Métis in the treaty making process. I, I, I kind of put together the presentation and it's that idea that we weren't just interpreters, you know, what, what was the common factor that, that pulled us all together. And it was that connection to the land and that land being taken from us. And so, you know, the government was going through that treaty making process, but what about the Métis? You know, we were ignored for, for a, a huge amount of time as people encroached on our land. So all that aggression and that anger and that, that anxiety that was building, you know, Métis people uh, were going to the, to the treaty process and being witnesses, you know, yes. so, so that they were there. And in fact, um, Isidore Dumont. Yes my great, great, great grandfather signed as a witness and he was there. And oftentimes when they went to those meetings, they immediately sent a petition to the government saying, what about us? So Métis, yes, some Métis took status because they related to those cultural perspectives um, and that way of life. You had Métis people as witnesses um, who were there to validate what was said. They heard and could say, you know, it's more than, than just the written word. It's that spirit and intent. So Métis people could be a part of that process and affirm what was said, what promises were made. Well, and then I agree and- to court because we haven't really heard those stories of our Métis role in that process. And Absolutely. I got to give your Dumont family, they were good field researchers. They wanted to know <laughs> what was going on, how it was Absolutely. going down. And I absolutely yep. tell my students, come on, students, if Gabriel can do this field research to find out how things work, you got this. <laughs> absolutely. So that idea of, of being uh, Wakotoan, being family um, and, and relatives, that's what Apitokasan means, is that mm-hmm. half relative, um, that connection. And so there's that role of family and being a, a part of and then as a witness and then as interpreters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful you're still involved with them. I think there's an important support that we need to work together um, with all our relations. Now, I'm kind of winding down here. Court, is there any other projects you're currently working on that you would like to share with our listeners? (laughs) You're always Um, some iron in the fire. (laughs) I do have a couple things going on. I'm I'm really big on um, this writing gig has really taken a a hold of me. And so um, I have a project right now um, and I'm hoping to hear any day now um, that if it moves forward, um, um, we'll be producing some um, Métis centered uh, resources uh, for schools leveled reading. Um, And so I can't say out loud until I can confirm it, but you know, that's going to be a big project for me. And I'm I'm so looking forward to that, to working with uh, Métis um, authors uh, around the province to bring perspective and to create these resources that can be used across Canada um, in a leveled reading series. So, Court, thank you for the heads up for that because we both know there's still much work to do and filling Absolutely. those gaps for literature. Um, my other final question is now you're in this wonderful stage of life. What kind of Metis advocacy role do you see yourself continuing to do in the next 10 years? You know, I keep telling people that I'm I'm available. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got all this all this free time. So as 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 schools are looking for um, someone to come in and, and maybe do storytelling or or provide perspective in terms of road allowance and the stories of my Kokum, I'm I'm happy to do that. Um, I'm happy to share about my book and the history of that. Oh, and I should say that that my whole intent of that story was to write it in three parts. So the first one about Frederick, the second about his wife. Josephine, and then the third will be my Kokum. So, 
the intergenerational. So, yeah. So it's going to be, a, I'm hoping it'll be a three-part series. And so that's going to keep me busy, but it's also going to be a starting point, kind of a foot in the door um, to, to speak about that. So I, I look forward to whatever opportunities are out there. Um, I'm still connected with Comfy, um, supporting that. But, um, you know, we have other locals in the city that are doing great work and anything that they're doing, if I can support them, I'm happy to do that. So Local 11 is huge into um, cultural things. In fact, I have a binder here. Um, it was because I went uh, two years ago to uh, Local 11's uh, New Year's party. Um, and, and everybody was supposed to bring something on their family. And when I got there, I saw all these people with their binders, with all their genealogy and pictures and stuff. And I thought, okay, I'm having one and I'll have it ready for this year. And, and of course, because of COVID, yeah, that, that didn't happen. But you know, those are the kinds of things that we need that instill pride and remind us of who we are and what we are and opportunities and, and local 11 is, is huge that way. So I, 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 I just support anybody who's doing anything that that instills that pride um, in our Métis people. Beautiful story. I love the. I think that's Gabriel Dumont local as well, a local 11, right? It is. Great, yeah, great sure. connection, Court. It's a natural <laughs> one. <laughs> Court, we're going to finish up with a, a question here to close. What is your vision for Métis education in this province? Oh, that's a that's a loaded question. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I think we've we've come a long way. And and I think that's great. But if if we're gonna move forward, then I really do see us having to take responsibility for our own education system and develop that. Um, and that's going to take a huge commitment on the part of our nation in terms of our people. Yeah, it's it's it, I I would think. To have our own Métis school, elementary, secondary, wherever, um, and and be able to develop that. Um, and then you don't have the misunderstandings that are out there. You know, um, you don't have to justify and explain. It'll just be, as, as you mentioned, our values that just flow through the building, you know, our perspectives, and that we honor everybody. That would be my dream. And I'm on that vision board. I'm sign me up. I'm in. Thank you, Court Donier. It's been a pleasure to visit with you today on PQK. And uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Leah. Take care. That's it for this episode of PQK. Come and visit a Metis Nation of Saskatchewan and Canadian Geographic podcast. PQK is produced by David McGuffin of Explore Podcast Productions. Our opening and closing theme music is by Métis Fiddler, Adam Daniel, and me, Leah Dorian. And if you enjoy this podcast, give us a five-star rating or write a review. Also, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and tell your friends about us on social media. I'm Leah Marie Dorian. Until next time, keep up the midden. See you later. Hey